Well, praise the Lord tonight. Good to be home. Good to see you all again. Um, The Lord's given me a, a real specific direction tonight, and I know that there's got to be a, a, a strong reason for it, and I'm, I'm excited to see what the Spirit of God has in mind, because I never fully know. We, we yield ourselves to him, because it's he that speaks to us, and he's the only one that has anything uh, worth hearing, Amen. is the Spirit of the Lord through his word. Uh, pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your people tonight. I thank you so much for this house, Lord God, that you have given freely where we can come and meet together to learn of you, to worship you, to sit in your wonderful presence. I thank you for every soul that you've drawn here tonight by your spirit, Lord. Lord, I feel completely incapable uh, in and of myself to do anything for anybody, but I'm completely trusting that your Holy Spirit will move And speak the words of life to all of us, Lord. You know every need here, every heart, every life, every circumstance, every situation, every broken place, every hurt place, every confusion, every dark place. And Lord, we lift it all before your throne, coming boldly, asking you to move while we're gathered here, Lord God, that we would give you full uh, control and full liberty to move, to touch us, to lift us up higher in you. Reveal yourself to us tonight, Father, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. And we're going to start with verse 12. We are living in a dark age, in a dark hour, and in the climate, the temperature, the political climate of our world and our nation, we're fast approaching a time where being the light of the world, having the light of Christ dwelling in us is is not going to be optional or we're not going to be able to walk based on our, our feelings. We're, we're headed towards days where we will be pressed closer to Christ than we've been before by circumstances and situations. And it is incumbent upon us, those of us who name the name of Jesus, to be pressed into to Christ, to be allowed to be pressed into that secret place, to be allowed to be pressed into his image and into that holy place that we might be the light of this world. For we will be accountable for our days on this earth and how much we shined the light of Christ or that we did not to those that are in darkness. Um, St. John chapter 8 and verse 12 Jesus had just finished um, saving the woman who had been caught in adultery. And uh, the word says that, that, they, that they threw her down in front of Jesus and then tempted him because they wanted him to say, they, they said, the law says we're supposed to stone this woman to death. What do you say? And they were hoping that, that he would go against the word 
and that um, he would come up with some sort of a kind of a grace thing. This is what I think that they were hoping so that they could accuse him and say, see, he doesn't keep the word. But Jesus Christ, being God and being awesome and being so wonderful, as always, went way past their, their little trickery and their little thoughts. And rather than discussing the woman's sin, he went right past that and said, yeah, you know, he, he it doesn't say that he said yes, but basically he was acknowledging, of course, that's what the law says. So Whichever one of you, and you know, he gave them time to change their mind. The Bible says that he was on, on, on the ground with a little stick drawing, and, and the Bible doesn't tell us what he was drawing while he let them continue to, to uh, come after him. What do you say, Lord? What do you say? we got to stone this woman. It says that he just ignored them for a while. And then finally he said, well, whichever one of you doesn't have any sin, you throw the first stone at her going right past what their actual question was, which is, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't this woman be stoned? And he took the question to where the real heart of the matter was, was what about your sin? What about everybody's sin? You see, they kept asking him, those Pharisees, those religious leaders, they, they heard about this Jesus going around doing these wonderful miracles and all the people following after him and to be totally honest that the gospels let us know that they were jealous because they had no power of God in their life they had never seen these types of miracles and they wanted to pull him down in the eyes of the people so they were constantly trying to mess him up and um, they also proved everywhere they followed him that they had no love no compassion and no mercy for God's people and uh, they showed it once again with this woman that they were willing to stone to death right there just to prove a religious point. And uh, as many have brought out, since she was taken in the act of adultery, where was the man? Because you can't ha have adultery by yourself. So where was the man? So they were completely corrupt. In, in, in every way. And as they tried to show that the Lord was corrupt throughout the Gospels, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they kept showing their own corruption. And you see, they kept asking Jesus, who are you? By what authority do you do these things? Who are you? Where'd you come from? What are you doing? What do you want? What they really wanted to know is, how do you threaten us? Are you going to say you're the, you're the high priest, you're the Messiah, you're the king, you know, you're going to take something away from us? That's what they were worried about. And what Jesus came to do was to die for everybody's sins, including theirs. And this was yet another poignant moment when Jesus was saying in a way that they couldn't understand, I'm actually here to die for your sins. I'm actually here not to condemn anybody, but I'm here as the great lamb of God, the great sacrifice. But he knew that those religious leaders would never see their own sin. And then in verse 12, he says this to them. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, uh, and of course, if you don't know the story, when he said, you who are without sin, throw the first stone, all of them were smitten by their own consciences and one by one dropped their stones and went home. And so the woman was left unharmed. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And I read that today, and I felt like the Lord was saying, that's what I want you to speak about. I want you to speak about the fact that I am the light of the world. And, you know, we have, we have songs about it. I mean, most everybody has heard that scripture, that Jesus is the light of the world. But what does it really mean? And, you know, he said, I am the light of the world. He didn't say, I am a light. We're living in a generation where you can turn on um, trendy feel-good TV and hear the modern-day philosophers, and they will acknowledge that Jesus was a light, along with uh, Muhammad, along with um, who's the Buddha, along with you know Hare Krishna, along with everybody. But that's not what Jesus said. You see, they they want to use Christ. They want to use the power of Christ. They want to use his good reputation and, and add it to um, their, their, they want to really justify their lifestyle. And they want to say that everything's okay. But Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. Not he that's heard of me and once answered an altar call and said, I, I accept you, and then goes and lives life the way that they want to, but he that follows me shall not walk in darkness. So it's completely possible for us to have seen the light of the world, Jesus Christ, to have accepted him into our heart, but then not to follow him. And though we consider ourselves to be a Christian, to be walking in darkness. And that can happen to us on a momentary basis, or that can happen to us on a daily basis. Or there's many people that my heart goes out to that they were told very little about Christ, but there was something that touched their heart, and they accepted him, and then they were never given any more light than that. And so they had... Uh, I know one lady in the desert, an elderly lady, she had turned on TV one time in her 40s and heard, um, I think it was a Baptist brother, uh, preaching a message, and he gave an altar call over the TV, and she said something warm came all over her, and she got on her knees and accepted the Lord and then kept that hidden in her heart. And uh, she had a son, and she had a husband, and they were not in any way interested in the things of the Lord, so she didn't normally get to pick what was on TV. That was just one of those moments she was by herself. That lady kept that in her heart, and I didn't meet her until she was in her 70s. And when I began to share, you know, who we were and what we do and that we're Christians and we do these ministry things, she said, something happened to me that I've never shared with anybody. And then she told me what happened to her in her 40s. And she had never received any more light or information, but she knew that she had that experience. And so she had not had the opportunity. Um, I suppose that, there, that there's things she missed out on that she could have done to draw closer to the Lord. But for the most part, she was like a little child. She really didn't have a clue. And she, did, she missed out on all of those years of walking in the light. 
and uh, now in her in her later days, she's praying for her uh, for her son and her children. But um, following him, following me. Then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life." See me myself. I am asking the Lord to purify me, to open my eyes to see the truth about myself and my walk and my life. And am I really following him? Or am I just following some Christian-type ideas that I have? Because if we're going to follow him, we can't get it from a book we buy from the Bible bookstore, you know, Eight Ways to Live a Christian Life, and, and memorize it, and then, okay, I've got, I've got my Christian textbook. This is the book, but if, you, if you've spent any time in it at all, it's vast and wide and deep, and, and there's a million ways you can go within these pages. So we have got to have a living relationship with the living Jesus Christ. We've got to come to him and find out where he's going today if we're going to follow him. We have to have a, a prayer life or a fellowship life or whatever word you want to use. You've got to talk to him. You've got to interact with him. And, you, and you've got to learn the pages of his book because he said he was the word. So everything you need to know about Jesus is here, but, but he invites us to pray and to fellowship with him. He said that he would send his Holy Spirit into us and that Holy Spirit would talk to us, lead us, guide us, enlighten us, show us things. But the more of this that we have in us, the more we understand the Holy Spirit. This, I think of this as the language book, if you will. This is, this is God's language. If I don't learn this, then it's like God has to speak baby language to me all the time until I learn the language. And the more that I learn this, the more incredible things he's able to talk to me and discuss with me like an, a teenager, then an adult. And one day I'll be a, an elderly person in the Lord, I pray, before I go home and, and be able to learn more things. Um, this book, John, was written by the Apostle John. I love the Apostle John because if you read the Gospel of John and then his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, he has such spiritual insights about the Lord. He doesn't just tell the things that went on when Jesus walked the earth like, like, um, like you'd read it in a newspaper, like a commentary, you know, this happened. He's always bringing out the deeply spiritual things that Christ said and giving us stuff to chew on. And um, we need those things because they're types, they're shadows, they're, um, they're pictures, they're word pictures that will make Jesus go from a, from a um, you know, flat drawing on a page to the real full life 3D Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. We want the depths of Jesus Christ. Um, I've shared this before, but uh, about 15 years ago, I had, I had been in my time of prayer in the morning and, and seeking the Lord, and then I went into my bathroom to comb my hair, and in this particular house, there was the, um, the mirror here and then a mirror behind, and there's a scientific name for this or a mathematical name, and I forget what it is, but I noticed that deal where the mirror reflects into the mirror and then, and then in that reflection, you see that mirror again, and, and it go, if you've never seen that, put two mirrors together, and it goes back and forth like forever, and they just get smaller and smaller and smaller. 
And when I saw that, the Spirit of the Lord told me, Jesus, that's what Jesus is like. His dimensions, his levels, his depths. Um, You think you know Jesus, but there's so much more. Whether you're 100 years old in the Lord or one year old in the Lord, there is so much more to learn, to delve into. And the Holy Ghost wants to stir our interest. He wants to stir our curiosity. He wants to stir our desire because everyone in here was made to worship God, to know God, to have God revealed to them. He made us. He didn't make us and then leave us down here, send us away and not want to interact with us and not want us to know him. He wants us to know him. And um, But this whole world that we live in and the whole world system that we live in is the opposite. It tries to deaden that spirit inside of us and that spiritual hunger. And, you know, like the little kid that should be eating a three-course dinner and learning to eat and, and it gets candy all the time. And it's satisfied with that candy, and it begs for that candy, and it wants that candy, but the whole time that child's body is dying of starvation. Maybe fat, but it's dying of starvation from real nutrients. And that's how we are as people. If we will go with the temptations that the devil gives us, fill yourself up on on, on TV, on entertainment, on relationships, on friendships, on man-woman relationships, on whatever, on you know, men on cars, women on shopping. If we take that temptation, what happens is our little spirit man dwindles up and becomes just like a crippled little Ethiopian kind of thing. And it's meant to be big and strong and vibrant inside of us. And the Lord wants us to feast. And um, we are so, so oversensitized with the things of this life that sometimes when people start talking about spiritual things, it's like, what are they even talking about and there's like a little tiny thing inside that says hmm that's kind of interesting kind of like that same little kid when you try to give it a vegetable or a piece of meat and it's like you don't have a taste for it so you have to start somewhere you have to start somewhere out of obedience every single one of us has that empty part in us and I, I learned this a long time ago No human being is ever going to feel that empty part of us. You may be single and lonely. You may be in a marriage and lonely. You may may be in a marriage that's having problems. And you may be in a happy marriage. In any of those situations, you're going to have an empty spot inside of you if you're not coming away and letting God fill it. Because uh, I I like the person that said, um, when God made us, he made a God-sized hole on the inside of us that nobody else has ever going to fill. And the incredible satisfaction of learning to let God fill that space inside of us so that no matter what our social situation, our marital situation, and if you are in a marriage and you're you're wanting that person to have help or change or, you know, you you detect a flaw in them as we all do, you know, we're too busy looking at the other one and their flaws and not our own. But if you actually want to help that person with whatever they're dealing with, if you're not full of Christ and you're not solid yourself, you're not going to be much help. You're going to be part of the problem. And it's that way with our children, with whatever the situation is. You know, on the job, Christians are supposed to be the best, the brightest, the most full of wisdom and help and strength and the ones that are there on time and all of these things because 
We do what we do, the Bible says, not unto men, but unto God. And that is supposed to be a light in the workplace. Okay, I've only gotten to one scripture so far, and I've got a whole bunch here. Um, John chapter uh, 4 and verse 5. Nope, that's not right. I'm sorry, I wrote down the wrong one. Let's go to 1 John, 1 John 1, 5, back by the book of Revelation. I don't know what I meant to write, but that wasn't it. 1 John 1, 5. Uh, This book is written by the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. And he frequently refers to um, God as light. 1 John 1.5 This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, we can't go over all the scriptures, but we know that that we are supposed to, Jesus told us to abide in him and have his words abide in us. And Paul talked about having his words abide in us. And and John said in John, Gospel of John chapter 1, that Jesus is the word. So him abiding in us and us abiding in him. And if we are doing that, if we're following him, if he's abiding in us and we're abiding in him, if God is light and there's no darkness at all in him, then we shouldn't have any darkness in us. But there's another scripture we won't go to where Paul said, whatever is light makes manifest. In other words, when you turn the light on in a dark room, you can see what's in the room. So if God is inside of me, I shouldn't have darkness in me. But what God does is he shines the light on that darkness. And This is a constant, ongoing thing, and if we're in a place where we're in this, like, super comfortable Christianity, where we never bow our knee, and we never spend time with him, we never sing him a song, we never tell him thank you, we'd show up at the house of God if we feel like it, and yet, amazingly, we just feel like we're great Christians. Usually what the problem is, is the light isn't on. The light isn't on, and nobody's home. And so, <laughs> so there's nothing inside of us manifesting the darkness that's there. But the beautiful thing is you begin to grow so comfortable with the light being on and God showing you the dark places, healing them, helping you sweep them out, washing them, and you begin to be uh, comfortable with that. And wanting that. And when that's not going on, you don't feel right. And before you know it, you're doing things, saying things. Like, I'll give you an example. I got, tell you about how stupid I am again. Um, (laughs) It was a few weeks ago, and I got all caught up in my busyness of of a schedule. I got to do this by this time and this by this day. and, And I started to sacrifice my time with God. And after about three days of it, because, of course, God understood I had to accomplish these things and I didn't have time for him. After about three days of it, um, I got myself into this situation where I invited somebody over to my house. 
And then a couple of other things that weren't expected happened, new responsibilities, and I could see that I was not accomplishing what I needed to by the time. And, and um, basically, this one day, I just lost it in my house, and I just started screaming. You know, I started screaming, I'm so stupid. And I did something I never do. I, I never, ever do this. I'm really pretty even keel. I got so mad and so frustrated with myself because I wasn't going to make my deadlines and I had told people things and I slapped the wall as hard as I could. Well, the one time I chose to do something like that, I had gotten hot and opened my window and the window that in the room I was in was at the front of the house. And so the person that I invited over, I didn't realize it was already time for them to be there. So they were on, on the front porch listening to my meltdown. <laughs> and this person's not a Christian, you know, and it's a bishop. So, you know, I'm a Christian. <laughs> when I went and I opened the door, that poor person, a very nice person, the look on their face was just like, they were just frightened. And <laughs> I'm still repenting. That was a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still, re I feel so bad about that. You know, an opportunity for my light to shine, but the darkness that was in me came out instead. But, you know, three days, three days of, of missing my uh, lamp trimming and the things that I desperate, I don't know about you guys, I desperately need this word. I desperately need my time with the Lord. There's no good thing in me by myself. The only good thing in me is him. And if I'm not making sure he's in there filling myself with him, then I'm back to there's no good thing in me. So um, in him is no darkness at all. So what we do is we start getting comfortable with that lifestyle of a whole bunch of what I want and a little tiny bit of God. And, and pretty soon the, the disciplines of spending any time with God are gone altogether. And we're real comfortable. And then what we begin to do is, is excuse our darkness and compare our darkness to other people's darkness. Well, I didn't kill anyone today. Yeah, I yelled and screamed and made a fool out of myself, but I didn't, I didn't put a hole in the wall when I hit it or whatever, you know. <laughs> I didn't hit someone. <laughs> but we were like that, and you know, we start making excuses. But if there's any darkness at all, and I'm not acting like Christ, I'm wrong. That's darkness. And that's the way that we need to uh, look at our lives. Um, let's go to... Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Did I do the wrong one again? I did the wrong one again. I'm sorry, you guys. Let me cross these out that were from a different Bible study. Okay. Um, so, John 8. Oh, here it is. Ephesians. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 17. This is Paul talking to the Christian believers in the church of Ephesus. He says, this I say, therefore, unto you, say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth or from now on, now that you're Christians, 
walk not as other Gentiles walk. In other words, don't walk the way the people out there that don't know the Lord walk. Don't act like them. Don't live like them. In the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, darkened, you can circle that word darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And he used the word darkened, their understanding is darkened, and he called their heart blind. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. So, again, Paul has to tell the church this. It doesn't just happen. When you read the letters, you're seeing Paul, you're seeing Peter, you're seeing uh, the apostles remind the church, remind the church, remind the church, remind the church how to live, how to think, what to do with these minds. This mind is like a, a wild field that can just be full of overgrown weeds and produce nothing that's good if we don't tend it. And we have to tend it every single day. And nobody's going to come and tend your garden for you, and they can't. Now, if you're a parent, yes, you help your children. But if you're an adult, and this is what we do, we let our garden get full of weeds and full of darkness. Our understanding is dark, and we're living the way the world lives. I mean, I've heard people that are backslidden Christians in the bars every night, drinking and then complaining because they're praying and they're asking God and they're going out every night and he's not providing a mate for them. And that's how we are. And they're not embarrassed to tell me that because their mind is darkened. They're not living in the light of the word. They're not finding out how does God want me to go about living my life and how does God want me to live while I wait for him to fulfill the needs of my life be it a mate or be it a job or be it you know a relationship so we've got to tend to the darkness of our mind and we do that by the word and by the Holy Spirit if we're not having conversation with the Holy Spirit we're really, really lost. And you know what? He talks to a lot of people. A lot of people do have conversation with the Holy Spirit, and they don't realize it. And uh, I, I'm saying that in a good way. And they listen to him because they know this word. And thoughts will come up in them, and, and they think it's just them. But it's really the Holy Spirit reminding them what the word says. The Holy Spirit talks to every blood-bought child of God. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he will talk to you. And sometimes you'll have that good thought, like I shared with you guys, you know, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I had the good thought, call my Uncle Danny and just tell him about the Lord again. And I thought, oh, that's just me. Like, me is going to think that. Um, and it was the Lord, because a few days later, he was in the hospital in a coma. But I didn't listen. I didn't discern that as the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I just share that as an example. He talks to all of us, but he doesn't talk out of a cloud. This is God, and I want you to. He talks from within us, within our spirit. So he sounds like us because it comes from our spirit to our mind. Except he doesn't sound like us because he says way better stuff than we come up with. 
When it's us, it's the one going, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know. I'm so worried. I'm afraid. I don't know. That's us. But when it's God, it's things that bring life. It's things that bring peace. It's things that bring joy. Learn the fruits of the Spirit. If it doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit hanging on it, it's not the Spirit. If it doesn't bring life, if it doesn't bring peace, if it doesn't bring joy, if it doesn't bring health to your mind and your heart, it's not the Spirit of the Lord. It's, it's you or, in case you're not aware of this, demon spirits can talk to Christians. Especially since we are usually so not bright about where we go and what we do. And I'll give you another example. Um, we took a family vacation to, um, uh, we took a cruise down Asia, and we went into China, we went into Korea. And part of our cruise, we saw all kinds of cultural things, and they showed us this big um, Buddha temple. And it was interesting, and they explained what was going on with all the worshipers there and the, and the history of Buddhism, and it was like, okay, this is interesting. Then a couple days later, we were wandering around in a town in Korea, and one of my daughters wanted to go into a Buddhist temple, and it wasn't part of a tour. It was just a temple where people worship, were worshiping. And I felt the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit. I always find out afterwards when I don't listen. I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, no, not today. Don't go in there. And my daughter was adamant. She wanted to go in. And so I weekly went in with her. And when I came out, because I used to do dark things before I got saved. So I'm kind of sensitive to demonic spirits and things. When I came out of that Buddhist temple, there was a demonic spirit with me. And it began to just badger my mind with, um, how do you know Christ is the only way? Didn't you see all the peace those people had in there? Now, I'm, I'm like way past that in my Christianity, so it wasn't, it wasn't like it was moving me, but it was very, very vexing, and um, it wasn't going away. And I had to pray for forgiveness and plead the blood and, 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 and get washed and clean and rebuke that thing. But it didn't have to happen. But I use my ignorance in that situation to tell you that sometimes you've gone to a movie or you've hung out with the wrong people. And then suddenly you're having all these doubts or suddenly you're having lustful thoughts and lustful images. And, and you don't know why. And you think it's you. And sometimes it's a demonic spirit. And sometimes you haven't gone to those places, and a demon will still attack you. And you have the authority in the name of Jesus Christ to rebuke that thing. And once again, the fruit of the Spirit means it's the Spirit. And in the book of Galatians, right where it lists the fruit of the Spirit, it also lists the fruit of the flesh. And the devil will appeal to the works of the flesh. So if you're having thoughts of adultery and thoughts of murder and thoughts of, you know... And we excuse ourselves in the church of today because um, sometimes we go, well, that's just, you know, men, you know, that's men, they just have that problem. Or that's just, you know, everybody gets mad and angry and wants to go strangle that person. That's no, 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 no. We're children of the light. We just read it. Don't walk the way that the other Gentiles walk. You're a child of the light. Um, let's go to Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 8. Hmm. We'll start with, uh, we'll start with, hmm. let's start with verse 5. 
For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, covetous man, who is an idolater, that means somebody who is so into wanting things that they don't have, whatever those things are, a car, um, money, uh, more stuff, somebody else's spouse, whatever it is. Covetousness is not okay. Uh, Nobody that's like that has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There's a whole lot being preached on TV from many ministries right now that's all about this is the age of grace. The church has become enlightened, and we realize that Christ is just all about grace. He died for everybody, and so how you live and what you let in your heart and mind doesn't matter so much because he died, so everybody's just going to heaven, and that's a big, fat lie from the devil. And it's meant to deceive us into becoming like the people we're reading about in verse 5 and thinking you're going to heaven and you're going to wake up in hell because the word was here to tell you the truth. Verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things, what things? The things we just read about, ungodly, dark activities. Now, if you get caught up in something like that, there's always forgiveness if you come back to the Lord. He told the woman taken in adultery, go and sin no more. He is always merciful. But what happens if you start playing around with sin like this? Your heart will get hard, and you won't know you have a need to repent. And you'll go deeper and darker and further from God. You'll have no conviction. It's a scary thing to play with. You don't play with sin. We all mess up, but you never deliberately play with sin and think you're going to depend on the grace of God. Um, The grace of God requires repentance, acknowledgement of sin, and turning from it and leaving it. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Why does he say that the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is, like a, is that just like a, for, to make a pretty wall hanging? No, when he says the fruit of the Spirit, he's trying to tell us what I'm trying to tell us. That's how we identify his Spirit. It's not just poetic words. He's telling us what the fruit of the Spirit is so that we'll know if we're in the Spirit. And he says if you walk in the Spirit in Romans, there's no condemnation to you. But if you walk in the flesh... And you're doing the things of the fruit of the flesh, there is condemnation. So we have to be in the light. We have to be in the spirit. We have to be following the steps of Christ. And you know, this is what uh, cults do cults will take your attention from Christ and put them on the human leadership of whatever, you know, this movement, this church, this religion, and make, we're going to make it easy for you. You don't have to be spiritual and figure out what Christ is saying and follow him. Just follow me. Follow Sister Debbie. I'm, I'm your light. Just follow me. That's what a cult will do. You know, buy my book, follow me, you'll be good. I'll see you in heaven. And give me a bunch of money, too, because that always goes with it. But um, the following Christ is totally individual. Not one of us in here has the same path, that we're all supposed to be walking in in the fruit of goodness and righteousness and truth. 
I mean, we leave this place and we disperse in all different ways because that's where God wants his body, touching all parts of society, touching people wherever we work, wherever we live, raising our own children. But that walk, that following is individual. And God, we want it to be easy. We want to buy the book. We want to just watch the guy on TV. We want somebody to do it for us. And it doesn't work that way for anybody. Christ wants us to come unto him ourselves. And some of us, the devil will lie to us and say, well, I'm just not smart. I'm just not spiritual. I'm just not that great. And make us think that we're some sort of a second or third or fourth class citizen in in the things of Christianity. And there is no such thing. From the smallest child to the oldest person, um, a friend of mine, Sister Anna, part of her ministry, she went out and evangelized. And while she was gone, she had set up a home for retarded adults. And um, that's what she did with her funds. That was her ministry to the Lord. And so she took care of those retarded adults. She made sure that they were fed and cared for, and she taught them to pray. So wherever her ministry went, that's what those uh, beautiful people did. They prayed and they interceded before the throne of God for souls and for the harvest And um, they were spiritual, and they would hear from God, and they would move in the spirit because the spirit and the brain are two different things. Your brain can be not that great, and you can still be spiritual. Amen? So um, verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk. Steps. Little steps, everything we do, what we say, where we go, how we act, very important. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's what I just said again. The reason he says fruit of the Spirit is that's what proves what God is in, what God accepts, what God receives, what God's the author of, the fruit How many of you had somebody say, I'm your friend, or I love you, and they say those words, but then the fruit of their life proves something completely different? Same principle. God, I love you. God, I'm yours. God, I receive you. I'm your child. But then my life is full of darkness and disobedience to God. Well, those words mean nothing. Where's the fruit? The fruit proves that I'm doing what is acceptable to the Lord, that I have his spirit in me. Verse 11, and have no fellowship, have no fellowship, have a little fellowship, have some fellowship. If it's just a little fellowship, it won't hurt me, a little fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The fact that I lost my temper and acted like an idiot a couple of weeks ago, and you know what, sometimes we'll let ourselves do those things when we're alone. And then it's like, oh, no biggie, I was alone. Well, it is too a biggie because if you do it alone, you're going to do it around somebody, first of all. But second of all, the angels are watching us. Paul said in Ephesians that we're supposed to live a certain uh, lifestyle. Okay, hold your place there, and let's look at that one really quick. Hold, hold your place in Ephesians 5 and look back to Ephesians 3.10. He had just talked about Uh, living a certain way and uh, saying that God revealed mysteries to us. And then verse 10 says, To the intent or for the purpose that now unto the principalities and powers, 
which is also used when we're talking about kings and governors and all of that. But he made it clear. He made a difference. He said principalities and powers in where? In the heavenly places. To the intent that us, the church, now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. So what you're doing when you're all by yourself, what you allow yourself to do, whether it's dwindle down in depression or sneak a drink or whatever, um, nobody might be there, but the angels are watching you. The good angels and the fallen angels. And the fallen angels are going, see, that you know, they're no better than, they're no better than us. That's what Satan loves. That's what Satan is all about, trying to bring us down to his level. But they watch us because the angelic host was there when God started it with Adam and Eve. And he saw them create a people, a race, a, a being that was different than themselves. And they've always been deeply interested in who we are and what we are and what we're going to become because we're different than them. And they were even told to take care of us. The word says that they've been given charge over those that would be heirs of salvation, which is us. And the Bible says that they want to look into the things of prophecy and the deep things of God. And it's not given to them to do that, except what God chooses to tell them. But we're supposed to teach them. Not supposed to sit down and say, okay, all the angels in this room, sit down. I'm going to tell you something. But No, we're supposed to teach them by our lifestyle what it is that God is doing and what it is that God is creating by putting his spirit inside of us and us little flesh beings, us little really dirt clods, becoming children of the most high God. And uh, I refer again to, we're talking about Jesus is the light of the world and he's in us. The Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus took those disciples with him, just a hand-picked few, and he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, which it wasn't called that then. That's what we call the event now. He went up on this hilltop with them, and all of a sudden, he's communing with the Father. And the Bible says that he began to glow with a light that his clothes actually became brighter than any fuller's soap could make them. It said that he was shining um, bright, that the light and the glory of God was shining out of him. And that same spirit of God that was in Jesus why didn't he walk around like that all the time by the way when he was on the earth because it comes by faith he wants a people that love him by faith not by not he does signs and wonders sometimes but you know signs and has anybody ever had some sort of a miracle in your life even just a little miracle does that miracle hold you over for years and you know the next trial and something bad no it doesn't it just does not it's relationship with him it's knowing him loving him receiving him he wants it by faith it's the same reason that he doesn't answer all of our little desires he wants us to love him love him by faith regardless and that's the story of Job, the man that lost everything. Satan said, Job is going to curse you to your face, God. As soon as you take the stuff away from him, he's going to curse you. And Job did not do it. He loved God. He said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out. God's still God. And according to verse 10, we all have a portion of that that we're supposed to perform. Whatever the situation and circumstances in mine and your life, we're supposed to still love him, worship him. 
We're teaching the fallen angels a lesson when we love God regardless of our circumstance. Satan and the third of the angels rebelled against God in his face. We don't get to see him. They lived with him. They saw God's glory, his brightness, his beauty, his wonderful kingdom, the perfection. And the Bible says that Satan got lifted up with his own beauty and thought he should be equal with God. And he was so powerful in his, in his, in his persuasion, in his power, in his beauty, that he talked a third of the angelic host into rebelling with him. And those angels and Satan were just knocked right out of heaven. And they now want to drag us into their sin because they're hateful creatures. Hateful beyond what we can comprehend. We look at things like the Holocaust. We look at things like serial killers. We look at things like people who abuse little children. And that just gives us a little inkling of what the devil is like who wants to destroy you and me. And you know what? He can't do it because God loves us. So you know what he does? He says, hey, come over here. Just a little walk in the darkness. Just a little dimness. It's not going to hurt you. And he tempts us and he tricks us to try to get us away from the light where he can destroy us. And except somebody intercede, except you cry out to God, he can destroy us. And there are people in hell tonight. And people don't want to believe that, but it's true. There are people in hell tonight. But we don't have to go there, but we can't be stupid. You have to understand that there is a battle between light and darkness. You can't have light and dark at the same time. You can for a minute. Like, like when the sun goes down, right, there's this... There's, like dusk, right? But how long does that last before it's total dark? And the same thing in the morning. When the sun starts to come up, you know, darkness cannot put out light once light is present. No matter, if we shut off all these lights and somebody just lights a little match, we can all see that little match light and the darkness cannot overcome it. So Darkness cannot put out light, but light will always dispel darkness. And you cannot have both. If you're trying to be that desk Christian, it's going to be very short-lived, and you're going to find yourself in total darkness. Ask someone who knows. I promise you, the darkness will overtake you. That's its whole plan. devil doesn't want to play with you. He doesn't want you for a playmate. Or the people that talk about, I'm going to go to hell with all my friends and we're going to party. Yeah, right. You're going to be tormented by the most evil creature for eternity. Ask God. You know, the amazing thing about God is, you know, don't take my word for it. Read this. Truly ask him from your heart if you have doubts about anything. If you ask him with a sincere heart, he'll reveal the truth to you. I cried out to God um, in a sort of a rebellious state because I had believed the lies of the enemy and I had gone from being a little church girl to being totally out in the world. And my prayer was, God, if you're, if you're real, I've never seen you. I don't know if you're there, so you can't send me to hell. That wouldn't be fair. You have to reveal yourself to me. That's what I would say to him. I don't know what I was expecting, but um, what I got was not what I was expecting. What I got was 
rather than the Lord appearing before me or something. Because now that my blindness is gone and my eyes are open, I see him everywhere. I see him in the earth that he created. I mean, do a little, just a little, just buy a science magazine and start reading about some scientific things. And all of it cries, God, the creator. And the scientists of our day will admit that. They just don't want to say that that creator is God because they don't want to be, they don't want to have to serve him. They want to be their own God. So they, they have little cute names like, uh, what, what do they call it? Intelligent design. And I'm like, but you're not, you're a scientist. You're so curious about everything in the creation, but you're not curious about who the intelligent designer is. You know, you're good with just intelligent design. Somebody somewhere designed this. We don't want to know, though, because we might have to serve him if he's God. So um, <laughs> darkness, having their minds darkened, darkened by the enemy. So as I began to pray that prayer, and I would have these brushes with God, like I would be doing my darkness and doing my thing, and then all of a sudden I would remember God and uh, I know why, because my grandmother was praying for me. And so the Holy Spirit would come to deal with me, and I'd be like, yeah, God, I remember stuff about God. But I don't understand it all. I need to understand it all. I thought I had to understand it all. Well, as it progressed, and I kept asking him to reveal himself to me, what actually happened was he began to reveal to me the demonic spirits that I had brought into my life. And they began to torment me, and they began to manifest. And it was the most amazing thing. When I began to see the darkness for what it was, I suddenly believed in the light. I suddenly began to cry out for the light. And you see, God didn't owe that to me. He didn't have to prove himself to me. I mean, seriously, where did I come from? If you, if you would take the, you know, we like to believe some of the stuff that they throw out there when we, when we want to be in darkness but if you take the time to study some of the garbage that they throw at us and at our kids, it makes no sense whatsoever. But we'll, like, ask a Christian a gazillion questions when we're in darkness. Prove it, prove it, prove it. But we'll say, we'll take what the, the, what the lost tell us and not even question it. We just swallow it up because that's what we really want to believe. We don't really want to sort it out. We just want to sin and be happy with it. But uh, there is a day coming. And, you know, thank God that when we're out there in such darkness that he gets a hold of us, that he has somebody praying for us, that whatever has to happen to us happens to us. Because the hardship, if you go to prison, that's better than going to hell. Whatever he has to do to get a hold of us, because eternity is fast approaching. If we live a full life, you know, the average lifespan is into the 70s. That's so short. I'm in my 50s now, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have hardly any time left to accomplish anything. Even if I, you know, even if I get lucky and I get to be one of those that lives to 100, 110 or something, you know, it's just going fast. And deep down inside of us, we know we're eternal creatures. It can't just be about this mess. I mean, there's, there's a lot of residue of God's goodness and God's glory, even with the sin that we brought into the world to corrupt it. But it's not just about this. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to set things right. He's going to save Israel from the wicked ones in this world that are being motivated by the dragon. Um, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this the study of light. There's a bunch more scriptures, but I think I've said enough about that. I feel like I need to share this with you. Revelation chapter 12. Everything is about the light and the darkness, but uh, that ancient adversary, the devil, has different names, and and one of them is the dragon, in the book of Revelation. And if you've never read Revelation chapter 12, it talks about the woman, it talks about Israel, it talks actually about the church in here, and it talks about the dragon. Um, let's start with verse 7. Revelation 12, 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought, and his angels. So we have Satan and his angels fighting against God's uh, archangel Michael and the angels of God. Verse 8, And they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven for Satan and his angels. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. See, that's the spirit you're dealing with. When, when dark thoughts come to you, when those thoughts of, you know, you can dabble in darkness, you can be a little bit like the world, you can walk a little bit like those people walk, you're dealing with the spirit of the dragon that deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and that they loved not their lives unto the death. This is how you overcome the devil. By the blood of the lamb, none of us are righteous. We all have to accept the death of Christ and the blood that he shed for us. By the word of our testimony, and that's not just, you know, when I, when I was this age, the Lord came to me and I gave my life to him. That's my testimony about this. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Jesus Christ is coming again and everything I know about this word. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Jesus told the church of uh, Smyrna, some of you are going to be put to death, but to him that overcomes. Like I said, our life is short regardless. And there have always been martyrs, those that have been called to be a martyr. And we look at uh, the three Hebrew children that said, we're not going to bow down to your image, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we're not going to bow down and worship it. Um, even if you can throw us in the fire and God can save us out of it, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship this image. They love not their lives unto the death. When Esther was called upon by her uncle Mordecai, to lay down her life for the nation of Israel because um, for the people, the Jews, which would be the nation of Israel, that um, Haman was going to try to kill them all. Esther had to make the decision to lay down her life. Now, in both of these cases, God didn't require their life. He let them live, but they had to be willing. She had to be willing to lay down her life. She said, if I perish, I perish, in order to save the whole nation. And she single-handedly, 
in that moment, overcame the dragon of her day that was trying to wipe out the seed of God. What an honor. What a privilege that she had. And I say by herself, it started with her uncle Mordecai, who had the wisdom to direct her and see what God was doing and how God had placed her as queen. And also, Esther asked all the Jews to fast for three days and pray for her. So they had a, they had a part in it as well. Um, verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that, his, that he has but a short time. Again, that's who we're dealing with. The devil, this ancient creature with more power than we understand, he's, he's, got, um, he's with great wrath. He knows that the days are short, more than we know. He knows the time clock of God better than we recognize it. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. If you've never read that, go back later tonight at home and read it. It's talking about a, um, a vision he had of a woman that was giving birth in heaven. And that's Israel giving birth to Jesus Christ, who would then give birth to the whole church. He's the head of the church. And so when Israel gave birth to Christ, she gave birth to the church. Verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings. And we're going to skip right here. She, was, she escaped what the serpent, what the dragon was trying to do to her. And then I want you to go to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. She just escaped him. And then the dragon went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So he hates Israel. He hates the Jews, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who has the testimony of Jesus Christ? The church, the Christians. So we see in, verse, in chapter 12, the dragon making war against Israel, against the Jews, against the Christians. And what I want to share with you about that is you know that Benjamin Netanyahu came over from Israel a few weeks ago. And he went before our Congress to tell them that the dragon is persecuting our nation through the nation of Iran. They're building this bomb, and they want to wipe us out. Where do you stand? And he even had to bypass the head of our nation, our administration, because um, they've made it clear they don't love Israel. They're not, they're not, they know nothing about the Bible. They don't believe it, and they're not afraid of God. But there's a whole bunch of praying Christians in America and God moved on the heart of the senator, was it Dashiell, who, who invited him to Congress, bypassing the president, which made the president so mad. Right now he's reminding me of Haman, the president. But uh, <laughs> he came and he warned the nation. And because our president opposed him, the whole world was watching. The whole world heard what Benjamin Netanyahu had to say. And he was sent by God to tell the world not even so much the cry for help as giving everybody the information and then we have the choice where we stand. Our nation has a choice if they're going to back up Israel or back up Iran. And every Christian in the nation has a choice. Are we going to pray? Are we going to back up Israel as best we can in our prayer life? Are we going to open our eyes and see the signs of the time? Because we have elected officials that represent us. Whether you and I voted for them or not, the Christians generationally have allowed our country to come to where it is. And these are elected officials. 
And we've been busy enjoying our American life, and we've just watched the true fundamental Christianity of our nation and its liberties being taken away. And so here we are today, and we stand in a place where we could be judged by how we treat Israel. Well, a couple of weeks after Benjamin Netanyahu, maybe not even two full weeks, and by the way, Gretchen brought out that all this is taking place during the time of Purim, during the time when we remember and celebrate how Esther saved the nation of Israel. So a week and a half, I think maybe, later, Jay Sekulow, who is a Jew, a born-again Jew, goes to Congress to make a case and to present to them all the ways that Christians are being persecuted around the world and saying to them, you have a responsibility, you have the duty to stand up against these regimes and these countries that are allowing Christians to be beheaded, Christians to be burned, Christians to be imprisoned just for being Christian. This persecution, what are you going to do about it? So during the season of Purim, our Congress was addressed by Benjamin Netanyahu, the nation of Israel, and then by Jay Sekulow, a, a Christian Jew, with the persecution of Israel and the persecution of the church around the world. And when, when I realized that and the timing of it, I said, my Lord, our Congress is being presented with Revelation chapter 12, and they have no idea. And they're being told, the dragon's persecuting Israel, the dragon's persecuting the church, what are you going to do about it? And you know, there was a day when nobody would have to say such things to our Congress. There was a day that they would have already acted, you know, and, and made resolutions and, and done the things that they can do to throw their weight around. But um, I, I just wanted to share that with you because it's something that I noticed, and, and we need to pray, and we need to have our eyes opened. Remember during the time of Jeremiah, right before Israel went into captivity, nobody would believe, very few believed, the prophet Jeremiah. Because they felt they were the people of God, they were good, God was with them, it just can't happen to us. And that's the way America is. And you'll even hear preachers preach that, you know, we're a Christian nation, judgment's never going to come to us, I don't know what Bible they're reading. But um, there's a lot of sin in our country. But we don't have to be afraid because he is the light, and if the light is in us, he, said, he promised he'd enlighten our darkness. When we look at the time of the plagues and the judgments in uh, Egypt, their homes were dark, and simultaneously, the uh, Israelites had light in their home because light is not just natural, the sun and candles, and light is spiritual. And that was one time that the light, the spiritual light, was made manifest so that they had supernatural light in their homes. Well, Egypt had none. Let, let's finish with this, Revelation chapter 21. Reminding us of the kingdom that we live in, no matter what goes on in the kingdoms of the earth. I, I always love the story of Daniel because he was taken captive in that judgment. And he, he lived in Babylon, but through the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet, he said, if you guys will just obey the leadership that you're going to be under now, just obey God, you'll be blessed, you'll be provided for. And Daniel did, and Daniel was. He obeyed the words of the prophet uh, Jeremiah. And Daniel didn't live in the kingdom of men and the kingdom of Babylon. He lived in the kingdom of God. And that man watched five heathen kings rise up in power and, and fall 
Well, he stood through all of those kingdoms because he was of the kingdom of God, and so are we, regardless of what happens to this wonderful nation that God blessed the earth with. Um, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 22. And this is, this is John having a revelation of the new Jerusalem that will come. And he said, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty... And the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And he's seeing into the future. There is coming a time, you know, the sun, this brilliant sun that we have, it's just like a substitute until that time when, when we got that little glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration when the light shined out of Christ. But until that time that he shines in his full glory on this earth and he becomes the light of it. And we will shine with light and glory as well because we are going to be just like him in our resurrection bodies that are coming and we live for that light. We don't live for this dark and fallen world. Don't let the devil sell you little trinkets when, when such great and mighty and beautiful yeah. splendor is coming. Yeah. That's where the Bible tells us our heart is to be, our treasure is to be, that we're to have our sights set on the things above and not on things on the earth. And it's the only way to walk in success and in liberty in Christ Jesus. And he's looking for a people that's ready to walk that way because I tell you what, when things get harder and things get worse, it's going to be harder to learn to walk that way if we haven't already been. And we need to be prepared to help those that are going to be struggling. And uh, I'm going to end right there. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, anything that was said that was by your spirit and of your word, Lord, let it stay with us. Let it bring forth fruit in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And make us conscious, Lord, of light and darkness. Abba, Father, by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, convict us when we go towards darkness. Prick our hearts and don't let us be comfortable with compromise, but let us truly begin to walk as children of the Most High God, children of the light, not as the world walks, but as Christ walks, following him, Lord God, every day and every moment. Teach us to be these children of the light in the earth because Jesus said that we are the light of the world. Let us be that light, Father, so that the ones that we love and the, and the ones that you love that need to see the light and find their way can find it in us. Let us not think it's going to be someone else. Teach us, Lord, that it's, that it's us, that it's me, that I'm the light of the world, that Jesus is to be seen in me and in each of us, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. And uh, we bless you, Lord, and we love you tonight. And, Father, we do pray for Israel. Oh, Father God, we look to that day when Jesus will be the light of it. But in the meantime, Lord God, we pray for the people of Israel. We pray for the nation of Israel. And, oh, you're not mocked, God. Your word will come to pass. And, and Jesus Christ will sit on that throne, Lord God. But you promised to pour out a spirit of supplication on the people of Israel. Yes. 
You promised that you'd open their eyes to see Jesus and to realize that he is their Messiah, to look on him and to call upon him, and that they will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Let that spirit of supplication be poured out. Let them begin to see, Lord God, and call upon their Messiah. Let them begin to see that Jesus is their Messiah and cry out to you, Lord God, and you're orchestrating it, that there will be no nation to help them, and they will have to turn to you with all of the heart, Lord, and come out of their backslidings, Lord, and see Jesus, and we're asking for that, Lord God. We're asking you to open up those uh, fountains, Lord God, for cleansing that you promised to the nation of Israel. Lord, teach us to pray for them. Teach us to love them. We thank you for the woman that birthed Jesus Christ, that birthed our salvation and all of us, Lord. She's the mother of the church, in a sense, Lord. Mary was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. The apostles who wrote this word were Jews. Lord, teach us to love them in the way that you desire us to and to pray for them. And Lord, we do pray for this nation of ours that you would have mercy on us. And we do pray for the leadership and the administration. And even though there's spiritual darkness there, you're still greater. And if you would have mercy and if you would turn their head, Lord, you said that you turn the king, whithersoever you will. And if it's within your plan, Lord, to give us more time and mercy that we might preach your gospel unhindered. But come what may, Lord, make us children of the light, full of your spirit, full of your glory, full of your word, that we might accomplish what you intend in this last hour. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise for every good thing. In Jesus' name, amen. just close in a word of prayer saints lord bless you guys for coming praise god that was an awesome word of god amen Amen. thank you lord may the peace of the lord be with us as we go our separate ways lord god and just bless and keep us all lord god in the days to come bless those in ministry on the fields lord god laboring for christ let souls be added lord god through uh uh, the ministries, God, that are out right now evangelistically, Lord God, the missionaries and and the saints of God, the persecuted Christians, Lord God, we also lift up, Lord God, in these in these various places, Lord God, Pastor Saeed and uh, the woman in Pakistan who has been in prison since 2009 for giving a Muslim woman a drink of water. By touching it, she was accused of contaminating it. And for this, she sentenced to die. Lord God, you know she's got children, two daughters, hoping and praying for her to be miraculously delivered. Lord God, and I just pray for, for, for that woman. I pray for uh, 